Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I've got a really enjoyable and educational episode today chatting with Samuel and Jacob Skeppers from JPS Health and Fitness. Um, we're talking about all things to do with progressive overload in regards to building lean muscle mass as an intermediate lifter and specifically following a four-day training split. Now, for those of you that have heard uh, any of my previous episodes with Jacob, you will know that he's very educated, he's very knowledgeable um, in the world of health and fitness and so is Sam. Um, it's a pleasure to have the boys on today and make sure you hang around to the end of the episode. Um, to hear in particular for trainers that are listening um, about their educational uh, work they're doing at the moment. But you're going to take a lot of value from today's episode. So if you do, please, please, please do take a screenshot of today's show and post it up on your Instagram story for me. Um, tag myself and tag the boys. Their, uh, their Instagram tags will be in the show notes below. Um, I do really appreciate you tuning in to today's episode and also so does the Bloom app. So for those of you that listened to last week's episode, I mentioned that we have jumped on board with the Bloom app as a sponsor for the health, uh, the fitness and lifestyle podcast, sorry, um, which was founded by some friends of mine, Chloe Zepp and Molly Jane. Um, they've both been living with some forms of depression and anxiety over the years, um, over the past few years, I guess, um, and have studied and found many different ways to help um, cope during these times, which is why they created the Bloom app, um, which I've been using for a while now. You guys um, would have heard me talk about on the podcast how I got into meditation back in 2017 for the very first time, um, Jan 1st, 2017, started meditating and made it a goal to meditate every single day. So it's definitely a part of my life. So when um, Chloe mentioned to me a while back that they were starting out the app um, Bloom, I was definitely keen to give it a try. And it's it's an it's an amazing app. Um, Focus on providing you with some tools to help you with the best to become the best version of yourself and and deal with the highs and lows that life can bring. Because as everybody would know that's listening, it's not all sunshine and rainbow and rainbows as much as we'd like it to be. Uh, but I guess the aim of the Bloom app is you log in every day, you log in your mood. There's also an AI assistant that pops up and gives you um, a tool or activity that you can use that day that is based on your mood um, when you're logged in, which I think is pretty cool, which is different to other apps. Um, and then on top of that, there's also a library of hundreds of other tools that include meditation, obviously um, breath work, um, different types of yoga and mindful movements and different other forms of, of yoga as well. Um, but the girls have done an exceptional job of the Bloom app. As I said, um, I like to use it daily. It's definitely a part of my, my daily routine, whether I get it done first thing in the morning as part of my morning routine or whether um, I do it a little later in the day as well. Um, I think everybody can take some great benefit from the app and you guys can actually try it yourself for free with a seven-day free trial. There's a link to the Bloom app um, in the show notes below. But I just wanted to say a big thank you to the girls for um, for sponsoring the show. As you know, I only take any sponsors on board with the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast if they completely align with what I'm about um, and, and I believe the girls do. So thanks so much to the Bloom app. As I said, give it a try. There's a link in the show notes below. You can try a seven-day free trial. I guarantee you will not um, regret it and I'm sure you'll keep it as part of your, your daily routine and um, it'll become part of your day-to-day uh, schedule, I guess. And, and as I said, your routine, but it also helps you just make sure you're staying present and living in the moment and also taking care of your mental health because as we all know, it's just as important, if not more important than our physical health. So a big thank you to the Bloom app. Um, now let's get stuck into the interview, which I, which I did with the boys via um, Google Zoom. So um, I did this in in my special podcast studio, aka the car, and the boys uh, joined me from their gym. So I'm sure you'll take a lot of value from today's show. Make sure you hang around for the full episode. There's a lot of great content. And thanks again for tuning in today. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Um, Jacob, obviously you've been on the show before, mate. Sam, first time on. Thanks for joining me. Long time listener. First time (laughs) talker. Talker. How's your day been, boys? Thank you. It's been pretty good for me. Yeah. So um, for those that are listening, these boys are 
um, are on separate mics, separate computers, sitting right next to each other. I'm um, in the the professional DK Fitness Studio, aka my car. Um, so we've got a professional setup here today, but. Boys, we'll get stuck into it straight away. Um, I obviously respect your time. And for those that are listening that haven't um, heard either of these boys talk before or don't know what they're about, go back and have a listen to um, some of the episodes I've done with Jacob. And also, I'll have the link um, to to all the socials and stuff in the show notes today for you to go and check out their content um, and, and anything else they're working on, which we'll have a chat about later in the show. But um, as you guys would have seen from the title of today's podcast, what we're going to be talking about is how intermediate lifters can program effectively to overload and build muscle following specifically a four-day split. So for those that have no idea what that means, um, we're going to touch on that now. But if you're wondering what an intermediate lifter um, is, I would classify an intermediate lifter, someone who's been training um, for, you know, to be honest, over over 12 months. If you've been in the, pro, in the gym following a, a well-structured program or working with a coach for over 12 months and you've kind of passed that, newbie gain stage um i would classify that as as an intermediate lifter i don't know how you boys would would classify that but um firstly i'd love to to just get your thoughts um both of you on um on what you'd classify as an intermediate lifter for those listening all right i can give it a crack first um so i think like it's hard to attach time frames to like levels of advancement because like they don't necessarily like determine how far you're going to progress just because you've been training for a given period of time. Um, I definitely would agree to an extent that's like if someone's been training pretty seriously and had a coach um, over a 12 month period, you're likely going to be seeing them to progressing towards that kind of intermediary stage. Um, But in saying that I've seen people who've trained for multiple years who still can't, you know, perform exercises with, you know, the right techniques. It's like the understanding of like how to train and the application of effort in the gym just isn't there. Um, and they still would be like kind of beginner um, as far as like an actual advancement goes. Mm-hmm. So I think the way I would determine it, um, like with my lifters and people that I work with is like once they're getting to a stage of like kind of competency and autonomy in their training where, from a coaching standpoint, you can nearly write them a training program and, you know, the, the most part they're able to execute it with the right level of intensity and effort um, pretty much on their own um, with very minimal guidance and, and also like they're getting to a stage in their training where you have to be more structured and deliberate in the way um, you are say selecting exercises, planning kind of longer term progression and their you know, training blocks are like stacking together to make sure that you can facilitate progress because they're at a stage where it's like strength gains or like hypertrophy gains are slowing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would probably add in the requirement of some level of competency and autonomy on pretty much what you said. Yeah. Awesome. Jacob, what are your thoughts? Yeah, totally agree with Sam. I would echo all of those points, uh, particularly that time in the gym is probably not a very good proxy for level of advancement. As you know, Danny, and I'm sure many of the listeners would be aware just because somebody's in the gym training uh, for X amount of time year on year doesn't necessarily mean that their level of advancement is indeed progressing to the intermediate stage. Uh. So the way that I like to classify an intermediate uh, is somebody who has acquired most of the easy neural and morphological adaptations. So that is they've developed the basic skills and like Sam said, competencies around lifting um, technique wise and behavior wise. So they've formed the habits necessary to be training consistently and consistently hard Uh, and their rate of progression, uh, which I think is a very good proxy for when somebody uh, edges out of the beginner stages of their training career because no longer are they progressing from session to session as they would have when they were a beginner, but they are now progressing uh, fortnightly to monthly. So they're seeing improvements in terms of being able to add reps, load uh, to the bar uh, every fortnight, uh, potentially monthly. So that would scale across the intermediate stage where if somebody's an early intermediate, they'd still be able to progress maybe every week, every fortnight, 
And as they get to the latter stages of that intermediate phase, uh, they might see progress uh, fortnightly to monthly, and then they'd be into the advanced stages. Um, and obviously there's a lot of uh, commonalities uh, amongst intermediate lifters that sort of bottleneck their progression uh, from the early to late intermediate stages and then onto the advanced level of their training career. Um, and we'll get into those, no doubt. Yeah, and just staying on the theme of, of overloading, you mentioned um, a few different ways that we can overload there. For those that are listening that are in that intermediate stage and you know you probably are at that point now where you might not be able to be increasing the load on the bar um, as often as you'd like, um, increasing the amount of reps you're doing for a certain weight and, and whatnot and the amount of volume you're doing. So you're probably getting stuck with ideas of how you can continue to overload, especially you know staying specific to the four-day training split, which we're going to talk about today. So um, I'll, I'll get you both to um, share your thoughts here on, on just different ways that um, those that are listening can continue to overload um, and what they should be focusing on moving forward because, you know, especially in that first initial stages of lifting when you are seeing those newbie gains, it's um, it's exciting when, you know, almost every week you're seeing your numbers go up or you're getting more reps out. It might be doing pull-ups and, you, and you're seeing your, your progress, um, you know, go through the roof like almost weekly, which is exciting and it's fun and even body composition-wise you can see big differences. But once you reach that point where it starts to slow down, it can be hard to maintain motivation and also um and also know what to expect especially if you've um if you've only just been training properly for for a shortish period of time so in in regards to overload what um can can we expect like what should we be kind of gauging um as overload and how can we mix things up with our lifts and movements and um and different techniques of programming to make sure we are overloading over time still yep samuel you want to start? I can do that. Um, so just some things like I kind of noted down, like while you're just talking there, Danny, um, yep. I think like firstly, it's very important for like these intermediate lifters or people who are entering kind of that stage of their lifting to just remember that um, it's like, it, it is important to be patient. And like, like you said, not to get demotivated or disheartened when the results do slow um, and to make sure that you kind of are, still putting the work in um, and it's not necessarily like that you absolutely have to overload every single exercise, every single session, but just yeah. a matter of that you are continuing to overload over time and doing that consistently, you know, and patience is a hard sell telling people that it's going to take time. Um, especially when they've just like, you know, finished making this, say like they're coming out of that newbie gain stage and they've been like seeing great progress and then it starts to slow. It's like, Oh, what the hell's going on? Why I'm progressing? Just yep. making sure that I suppose the coaching standpoint that you're communicating that um, it is like, this is kind of where you really need to start focusing on those long-term goals. Um, and then second, secondarily, like how we're going to assess like progress becomes even more important because it's like, as kind of you guys both have mentioned, it's like, we're no longer making, you know, incremental gains every single week. We're not adding weights to the bar. We're not increasing reps. It's just, um, you know, assessing things like say total volume for a muscle group over a week and calculating that, um, for example, but other ways that I like to kind of overload with more intermediate lifters. Um, I don't think that, well, for the most part, Jacob, you can comment on this. I think for a lot of intermediate lifters, um, they probably want to like really get specific and like do like specification or like, um, you know, kind of focus blocks probably too early. Um, I just think when you're, especially let, let's just say you're like keeping in mind the demographic, let's say someone who's entering that intermediate stage, um, their results are slowing and they kind of, it's like, we need to work out a way to continually to progress them. Um, it's like with working on a four day program, it's like you probably don't need to start going into like, oh, let's do a shoulder-specific block, you know, for the next four to six weeks and then we're going to go into like a chest block. Um, someone who's only just becoming an intermediate is still probably going to make decent progress provided um, exercise selection and the actual program design is, you know, down pat. Um, mm. I think just making sure that it's like the volume is like, uh, presuming we're training for hypertrophy, um, like the volume is staying like quite high and working in within those kind of hypertrophic ranges where it's like we're hitting, you know, 10 to like kind of 15 sets, like on a muscle on, let's say a particular muscle group. Um, and we're doing that, you know, getting two to three exposures in a week. 
Um, so I think a good way to do that is to, instead of having like, let's say an upper push day and then an upper pull day and like two lower body days and that's our four day split, um, like intermediates can still very much utilize things like full body days where they can get more high quality exposure by using say more compound or like kind of bang feedback movements, but structuring in a way that facilitates that instead of doing all chest one day, all back another day, it's like you could go bench press one day and then you have like an inclined dumbbell press on another day. And then you might have one day where there's no chest work. And then another day where you're doing some like, you know, close grip bench press or dips or something like that. It's like, now you have three exposures in your four day program. It's like, we're kind of, still able to get some hard like and heavy work in um but we're still getting a lot of frequent exposures as well yeah um, and then kind of second to that i'll just say it's like making sure that exercise selection is kind of is down pat um if you're working within constraints of having only four training days um maybe you need to like again four training days is quite a bit but presuming people have time constraints as well um like we're not, you don't want people just spending three hours in the gym to make sure that they're hitting these kind of volume targets. So it's kind of then how are we going to get that volume in? What are those exercises going to look like? If you had an intermediate lifter, maybe you're not doing things like, um, you know, push-ups or like really specific isolation movements, but yeah. focusing more, as I said, like on those kind of compound bang for your buck movements. Yes, maybe a lot of bench pressing doing, say, deficit work where it's like you can, you know, say do incline dumbbell press, increase the range of motion. Um, and just, yeah, not not kind of taking away, I think. Um, it's like making sure you're just using more deliberate exercise selection because I'm sure we it's like you guys can tell me probably all agree that when you have a beginner you can probably get them doing like let's just say using chest for an example because who doesn't love chest um like you get them on a flat dumbbell press and it's like the, yeah they'll progress pretty much linearly for you know weeks months on end it's like that's probably not enough for someone who's getting into the intermediate stage but that doesn't yeah. mean they can't get you to just dumbbell press just maybe you need to make it more challenging and you can do things like oh we're going to pause it's like yeah i don't know i don't know how much that answers the question but i think ex like selecting appropriate exercises and making sure that um you're getting enough exposures to those exercises is going to be probably the most important thing to ensure intermediates are still progressing yeah um i i really really strongly agree there and and you touched on how many times you're exposing that muscle to a stimulus each week like i always preach in my opinion i think that you know at least twice per week frequency each muscle group in my opinion is the most beneficial but are you like would you recommend even more so like i know you just touched on then possibly even three times per week like in regards to the actual training split, what would you what would you say would be one of the more effective ways to, to break it up? Like two upper body days, two lower body days, or um, you mentioned full body. Would you be going as far as doing four full body days? Well, it really it's like yeah, honestly, program design and exercise selection um, is so unique that it's very hard to give it like the definitive. This is going to be great because obviously everyone's different. Like, and again, how long you can spend in the gym is also going to be a confounding factor. Mm. But if someone's only able to train four days a week and they really think that their progress is kind of like um, slowing, it's like you could get them doing like exposure to say all main muscle groups three times a week and do full body splits or maybe you do like an, a full upper body day with some additional, you know, quads at the end. Right. Yeah. It's like, maybe that's that one extra exposure to the quads. That's going to like kind of get them some further volume, but you always have to remember, you can't just continue to add training volume in. It's like people yeah. can't just recover indefinitely. So if they're an intermediate and they go, Oh, well, you know, I want to still develop my whole physique. And I would say that's probably a good way to approach it. We're not again, focusization blocks maybe instead of doing bicep curls at the end, because again, let's say we only have an hour, right? And we want to go, okay, I want to get some extra back work in. Maybe we have to give up on biceps, but maybe we can get the biceps by doing like an underhand lat pull down or an underhand seated row. Still going to target the biceps, but we're getting more out of that exercise for yep. the back as well. So we've kind of traded up for something that is going to fit within time constraints, fit within our limitations on how many days we're training a week. Yeah. Whilst also, 
ticking the boxes of being a challenging movement that's going to target the back and biceps. Yeah, and, and probably be able to lift more load as well. Yeah, exactly. Jacob, what do you, I suppose, have to say? Feel free to disagree. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, I cut out a little bit there. Is uh, the baton being passed over to me? Yes. Okay, awesome. So, yeah, I agree with everything that Samuel said uh, there in terms of the exposure uh, to the exercises and whatnot. But I think it's also important to discuss what the priorities are for an intermediate lifter. So, again, looking at uh, what I mentioned earlier, where intermediates have acquired those very... competencies and adaptations the priorities when they do enter the intermediate phase are to increase muscle size and obviously that's going to be specific to each individual so whether somebody wants to prioritize developing their chest their back their legs their glutes so on and so forth um, also their work capacity so their ability to tolerate uh, more work as well as learning to accurately gauge effort using RPE and RIR scales Understanding the importance of rest and recovery is a huge concern and priority for the intermediate lifter because one of the bottlenecks that really impedes their ability to progress uh, into the late, intermediate and early advanced stages is uh, overtraining for the most part because uh, most intermediates uh, will start to be able to work really, really hard. They'll be able to impose uh, quite a bit of stress, uh, but they also need to learn the skill of recovering. So this is where incorporating uh, heavy and hard sessions, lighter sessions. So as, as we mentioned, if we're getting frequent exposure to exercises uh, and they're training each muscle group, say two to three times a week, not all of those sessions can be of the same uh, difficulty in terms of volume and intensity. So we'll need to have a little bit more undulation in the training stress. And this is where daily undulating periodization is a really beneficial and useful strategy. And they also need to start taking deloads uh, more frequently. So as a beginner, you generally won't need to deload um, for quite a while. Beginners can get away with 12, 16 weeks, sometimes longer uh, periods without having to deload because they're just continually adapting and uh, the stress is within their recovery capabilities and they've got the adaptive resources to go towards recovering from the training stress. Uh, and a huge factor for intermediates in terms of their priorities is going to be consistency. So avoiding program hopping, which is what we see uh, very commonly with uh, your intermediates. So because they start becoming a little bit impatient, the rate of progress and gain slows down uh, exponentially so they're no longer seeing progress from session to session week to week uh, they can become quite frustrated and their expectations don't align uh, with their ability to progress so you'll see them constantly hopping from one program to another and looking for the next best thing or solution and uh, this is obviously quite detrimental to their progress so with that out of the way we need to really start to monitor training volume a little bit more closely making sure that the dose of the stimulus is appropriate to drive adaptations but also also uh, within the recovery capacity of the individual and once we get the volume uh, set so generally anywhere from 10 to 20 sets per week per muscle group we can split that over two to three sessions uh, within that training week uh, we need to look at progressing the stimulus based on adaptation. So drawing things full circle now to your original question uh, with overload for intermediates, hmm. uh, we need to remember uh, and define what uh, progressive overload is. So when we look at progressive overload, it's the logical and sequential increase in the training stress, right? So it means we're making training more and more difficult. And most people, when they think of progressive overload, will think of Socrates, uh, when he's you know carrying the uh, bull up the hill and it's a baby bull initially and as the bull gets bigger and bigger and bigger he gets bigger and bigger as well um and what a lot of people think of when we talk about progressive overload is that they need to force overload they need to train harder and harder and overload their training so that they get adaptations but this is in reverse of how we should perceive uh, progressive overload because the overload in the stimulus is needs to be disruptive it needs to be stressful enough to drive an adaptation but it also needs to be within the adaptive potential of the system so what that means is we don't actually force overload but instead we need to conceptualize overload as 
observable progression in performance and uh, the overall stimulus as a result of prior adaptation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market an observation than an action so as the action is meeting or exceeding the required overload stimulus within a session so for example if you perform more work such as lifting more weight or performing the same uh, work and weight with lower effort adaptation has occurred so if we think about this in just a really practical sense you're doing a squat you do three sets of eight and 100 kilos uh, and an rp8 and you want to meet the next week an rp of eight for three sets of eight and if you have adapted to that stimulus and you do three sets of eight at 100 kilos again but the rp is a seven mm. that means that adaptations have occurred and you need to overload to stay at an rp eight yeah because of those adaptations does that make sense yeah 100 percent. so i think once we get the dose of the stimulus right and we get the intensity within the threshold of where it needs to be to build muscle because again that's the primary objective when we're working with uh, intermediate athletes so we need an rp of five or more on average or an rir of five or less we need to be training with 10 to 20 sets per week split across two to three sessions aiming for probably no more than 10 sets per muscle group within a session so the quality of work can be maintained yep. we then just need to let adaptations come to us and we increase the difficulty of the training stress by adding reps or adding load as we progress Awesome. There's some really good takeaways there. Uh, and I think, you know, what I find as well is that it's, it's almost, especially when you've got people that, that come to you that have started training or even may have been training for an extended period of time. And, and like we've touched on already, even though they have been training for an extended period of time, their level of, um, you know, their, their patterning with their movements and stuff is still at a beginner's level. So once we eventually teach them how to improve that and they start to reach that intermediate stage, it's almost like hard to explain to people that instead of going from a session where you've just overloaded the shit out of your chest for an hour and you feel like you've just obliterated that muscle group to the point where you're not going to train it again for a week where it's so much more beneficial, as you've touched on as well, Sam, to, to split that over multiple sessions per week where the quality of those lists is going to be so much higher. The load overall load for that week is going to be so much higher. Um, and when, once you can wrap people's head around that, I think, and change the, the mindset from um, change the mindset, sorry, to quality over quantity. That's when those, that's when the real results start to happen. I know for, for myself, like I, I saw that firsthand, like I would just go in and, and try and train to pretty much failure. And um, you know, whether it was once or twice um, on each muscle group per week, I didn't really start to see any benefit from actual lean muscle gain until obviously I aligned my, my calorie intake with what I was trying to do, but also um, the quality of the sets that I was doing and, and the amount of load I was lifting per week and, and knowing that I didn't have to leave every single session feeling like, you know, I'd absolutely obliterated my lats or my quads were completely fried because I'd, I'd absolutely smash him in that one session. Yeah. A lot of good points there, Danny. I just want to bring uh, two things up really quickly. One is on per session volume. So as you mentioned, like a lot of beginners who come into the intermediate stage and think they just need to go harder and harder, do more and more work uh, within a session for a given muscle group. Uh, James Krieger's in-house uh, meta-analysis that he's conducted on Weightology uh, Weekly, which is uh, his research review, found that per session volumes uh, will see peak hypertrophy at around eight to 10 sets within a workout where that's where I got that recommendation probably no more than 10 sets per workout per muscle group. Uh, and any more volume than that is associated with regression and plateau otherwise known as junk volume. So mm. really good points that you raise there on the quality of work over the quantity, because more isn't always better. There is a cap on how much volume we can do within a session that will be productive. And the way that I, I like to think about this is it's analogous to flogging a dead horse, right? Once the horse is dead, you can keep flogging it, but it's not, you, it's not going to go anywhere, right? So if you're doing more than 10 sets uh, within a workout, for the most part, anything over that is just digging a deeper recovery hole that will to adapt because we don't get adapt 
um, without recovery. So recovery being a return to baseline in performance. So you typically won't be uh, recovered if you can no longer perform the same workload as you did in the previous session. So the more work you do in a session, doesn't always mean that you're gonna get more adaptations. You'll only get more adaptations if you're recovering from that work by the next time that you induce that same uh, training stress. And the second point that I wanted to bring up there that you raised was uh, having your nutrition align with uh, your current training goals. And I think as an intermediate, uh, you can no longer recomposition uh, in the same way that a beginner can. So a beginner yep. can build muscle and lose fat simultaneously because the stimulus is so novel that they can achieve fat loss and muscle growth at the same time. As a beginner, you really need to start having more dedicated and focused training cycles. So if your objective is to build muscle, not only do you need to focus on getting your training structure uh, set up in a way that will allow you to progress, but you also need to facilitate uh, adaptations via nutrition. And nutrition won't cause adaptations in and of itself. It simply augments the adaptations from the training stress. So we need to be making sure that we're eating at a small calorie surplus to build muscle at an appreciable rate. We want to be aiming for at least 025 to 0.5% of weight gain per week. Any more than that, you're getting fat. Any less, it's going to be super hard to detect and non-practical. Uh, so being at a generally two to 500 calorie surplus per day is going to be beneficial. Uh, making sure that you're getting your protein intake at around at least 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kg of body weight, mm. having your fat intake no lower than 0.5 grams per kg of body weight, uh, and any leftover calories once you've set protein, once you've set fat, should be coming from carbohydrates to meet the calorie surplus that you're wanting to create to build muscle. Awesome. Now, I've got a, I've got a number of questions that I want to quickly get through here that I put up a, a bit of a story on Instagram last night for people to send through some questions and we got heaps, but um, obviously respecting uh, both of your time um, here, I want to pick out a few of the, the better ones kind of aligned with what we're talking about. Um, and then also I want to get into a little bit of stuff that you guys are doing with some education side of things as well. Um, so You've already touched on a little bit there, Jacob, but I'll get you both to just almost give me a bit of a short answer to some of these questions and I'll, I'll kind of power through them. So the first one was um, actually aligned with nutrition. And the question was, is it still possible to gain muscle if you're lifting, if you're progressively overloading with your strength training, but you're in a calorie deficit? Um, so I'll get you both to give me, I know we could talk about this shit for a long, long time. And I know it's going to be hard for both of you to give me a short answer because you're both got so much knowledge on these topics but um we'll, we'll try and keep it relatively short jacob do you want to go first uh, yeah, oh you're meeting first oh, you go oh, yeah, first this time. all right so can you build muscle and lose fat at the same time is that the fundamentally the question danny can you gain muscle by eating in a calorie deficit if you are still overloading your training okay so i would say there's probably four situations where that can happen so when you're eating less calories than your body requires to maintain uh, its current weight, uh, the first is if you're a beginner. So when you're a beginner, the rate of adaptation in terms of muscle growth uh, is quite uh, fast and your ability to progress in terms of muscle size is quite high. So you can eat at a calorie deficit and still build muscle as a beginner. Also, if you're obese because fat is generally protective of muscle loss, so eating at a calorie deficit if you have exponential or significant amounts of body fat uh, can still occur if you get the training stimulus right. The third is if you're returning from a layoff, meaning that you're coming back from training after taking some time away. And the reason for this is that you don't, whilst you might lose uh, muscle size, that's just the fibers shrinking. You actually maintain all of the satellite cells within the muscle uh, and this is what is known as the muscle memory effect. So basically you've got all of the infrastructure within the muscle to rapidly increase uh, the fiber size back to where it was prior to ceasing training. So you can eat a calorie deficit and still build back all the muscle that you lost mm. uh, if you're returning from a break from training. And the fourth is if you're on uh, that there Mexican supplements. So if you're supplementing with uh, exogenous hormones such as testosterone, yep. uh, all of these sorts of things, uh, you can eat a calorie deficit and, and uh, build size. Great. Sam, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't think I really need to add anything, anything further than that. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty concise summary. If you're, trying, if you're an intermediate and you're trying to build muscle, uh, you should not be eating calorie deficit period yeah 
that would be the only thing I would have added. Just spin your wheels. Like, yeah. Perfect. If you're trying to if you're trying to lose weight, you should um, be focusing on that and preserving muscle, not trying to gain it and just survive and then reset your goals. Yeah, and that's a comment. I'm sure you guys get this a lot as well, particularly with with new clients or even just questions on social media about people constantly wanting to achieve two goals at the same time, two of the opposite goals pretty much, build muscle mass and, and lose fat at the same time. And like you said, there are a number of certain situations where that can happen, but the likelihood, especially if we're talking at the moment, if our audience is intermediate lifters, um, it's just not going to happen. Very, very, very slim chance. Very it's slim. probably not. It's probably not the best way to go about it. Not at all. Not at all. Um, next question is: Can you be? So we've we've talked about the minimum amount of protein we need to be eating um, in regards to being in a calorie surplus or even deficit, um, for that matter. Is there a point where you're eating too much protein and it's just not going to give you any extra benefit, or if? Um, or even possibly can it be detrimental to um, progress by eating too much protein? I'll try and tackle this one. So I remember, I can't remember who I was listening to. I think it might've been stronger by science podcast a while ago. They were talking about um, like Eric Trexler and uh, Greg Knuckles were talking about, there was a study done where there were people eating like an absurd amount of, like it was just like four grams per like kilogram of muscle mass or something like that. It was, it was a lot of protein. Um, it's like, and they weren't experiencing any like deleterious like health effects from my recollection. Uh, don't quote me on that necessarily. Um, and again, if my memory serves, it's like once you get past probably you know that kind of like holy grail two point two, like that's a magical um, amount of protein. Really, once you're kind of getting further beyond that, I don't think you're seeing any further benefit. Um, not that there's necessarily going to be any health implications. Uh, there could be if you were like monitoring, I suppose, calories. Um, and that meant that you were taking food away from like fats. So, so let's say you were going super low on fats to try and get protein in um, because you still wanted carbs as well. Like that might have negative health implications and not be worth it. Um, but for the most part, like you can probably eat as much protein as you really can stomach without experiencing too many health complications. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's necessary. Awesome. Summary. Um, yeah, Jackie, so, did you want to add anything to that or? Yeah. So a uh, study by Ribeiro uh, and others in 2019 kind of summarized uh, protein intake uh, for hypertrophy really, really well. And they uh, stated in regards to, Muscle hypertrophy, it's prudent uh, to consume at least 2.2 grams per kg of body weight uh, per day. Uh, and they also mentioned that there's no apparent downsides to consuming somewhat higher amounts of protein from mm. a muscle building standpoint because any amino acids in amino acids aren't used for anabolism. So that is generating that you piss out. Really favorable risk to award ratio of having a little bit more Sorry, and mate. Obviously, cutting. ensuring that cutting uh, your protein is of high quality. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so just making sure that you have uh, high quality protein in your diet. So you're getting all the essential amino acids, uh, particularly leucine, as that is uh, regulating uh, mTOR which is uh, very important for governing the muscle hypertrophy process. Uh, and whether you need more protein uh, in higher volume phases, um, I would say there's probably a good idea. That hypothesis is untested currently. But mm -hmm. if you're doing higher volumes uh, of training, it might be a good idea to jack your protein up just marginally. Uh, when it comes to fat loss, um, you know, serious fat loss phases such as a contest prep for bodybuilders uh, to maintain muscle mass while losing body fat. Um, Helms uh, did a study, a meta-analysis a while back, uh, where he suggested an intake of 2.3 to 3.1 kilos, uh, grams of protein, sorry, per kilo a day um, in resistance training individuals. So it's a good idea to probably scale your protein up a little bit if you're, if you're dieting for fat loss, especially if you're already lean. So that would be my, my take on protein for building muscle. 
Perfect. Um, well, we've got two more here. And as I said, I want to touch on the education side of things. So the next one um, we have here is who can do the most chin-ups out of you two guys? Definitely Sam. Definitely Sam? My legs are bigger. My legs are bigger. Sorry, I've got my stomach is smaller. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys, before we get into the education, this will kind of lead into it. Um, could we get uh, three tips from you each on becoming a successful trainer? Um, and then once we've done that, like I said, I want you guys to talk a little bit about um, your mentorship program and, and what that includes. Yeah, Sam, take it away. All right. Let me think. Three tips on becoming a successful, successful personal trainer. Um, one that I always recommend, like we have a lot of students come through here. Um, we facilitate like certificate three and four um, through a regulatory body, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but we have a lot of students like even coming from universities and stuff. We're like, yes, we, we want to get into like coaching or they want to get into sports science or whatever it is. Um, I think prioritizing your like communication skills and your ability to work with people um, as much as you prioritize understanding kind of the fundamentals of like coaching and like nutrition or like training um, is probably a good starting point because as I'm sure you both would probably agree, working with people is not necessarily easy. Um, it's a tricky industry. You're working with a lot of different people who have a lot of different needs, come from different backgrounds and having an ability to communicate with a disparate amount of like or disparate people from you know different walks of life is really important. It doesn't matter if you know all the information you can give people like verbatim citations of, you know, studies about why they should train X amount per week because, you know, it's great for glute hypertrophy or whatever. They don't care about that, but you need to be able to communicate the inf that information in a way that they're going to buy into it and they're going to understand it and then go, okay, this is, in my interest and they're going to go ahead with it. So I think prioritizing communication skills um, and getting some hands on and practical experience, actually working with people. Um, and then this ties into my second tip, which would be, it's like, do be willing to do free work. Um, like I couldn't tell you how many times it's just like, you know, help people out with like technique on the gym floor. It's like, you can't, the money will look after itself. Um, yeah if you are good at what you do. So be open to, especially when you're starting out, be open to just working and honing your skills and working on your craft of coaching and working with people and getting them results. Because at the end of the day, if you can demonstrate to people pretty much, you know, with a very high success rate that you can do that, then people will be willing to pay you and people will buy into that. But if you're just charging and you have no skills and you have no um, like kind of, evidence supporting your ability to do what you're saying you can do. Um, it's kind of, it just falls on deaf ears. So I think yeah. it's like, building up that trust, isn't it? It's the same with, same with content like we're doing now and, and things through social media and maybe email marketing, whatever it is. It's, it's all about building up trust and giving, um, you know, your target audience, your target clients, your, your niche, whatever, a reason to come to you in the first place. If you've given them so much value to the point where, whenever they think of something that they, they they need to pay for, they want a service that they're more than willing to, to pay you because they know that you've given them value in the past and they trust you, then you've done your job. Like regardless of whether, you know, you've had to pay for your education, which obviously a lot of people do. Um, if you're worried about giving away information for free because you think you should be paid for it, then you're not going to get paid for it because no one's going to come to you. They don't have any reason to, to, to pay you for your services in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Like kind of, that's a great like summation of the point. It's like you need to build your skills and your like your experience and you can only do that by doing work and you can't just expect to be paid, you know, top dollar from the start. So, you know, I used to program for friends. I still program for friends. And it's like, it's just, that is just an opportunity. And it's like, if they don't pay, that's fine. I don't, it's like, I don't care because it's an opportunity for me to say, try new things out as a coach. I can be like, mm. Oh, you know, um, we're going to, just trial something slightly different and see how you respond. Yep. Um, it's an opportunity to like not only help people, which is, you know, that's why I got into this. Yeah. It's okay. like, that, that's what I get the most out of, you know, working with people and seeing them progress and get to where they want to be. But also it's an opportunity for me to learn and get better at my craft 
And then if I can get better, then I can help more people. And then inherently, again, it's like the career side of things will look after itself. Yeah. Um, a third tip would be, hmm, that's a tough one. Um, three tips. Yeah, it should be really easy, but I'm trying to think of something that's actually going to be valuable. Um, like on, it's like, again, it's like we're going to talk about education, but I think continuing to educate is really important. Um, I'll be the first, well, won't be the first person, but I'll be up, up there. Um, I think coaches shouldn't just do like their cert three and four or something, um, you know, some course and then go, I have all the answers and presume that they are, you know, ready to go and help people. Um, it's important to acknowledge the fact that you can only know so much and you can only have so much information. Um, so go and upskill and, you know, seek further education so you can help people more and do a better job at doing that. Um, but also in the same kind of token, it's like you should really be pursue, like pursuing further education in areas that are relevant to what you're doing. It's all well and good to, you know, want to be broaden your kind of education and knowledge base. And I think that's really important, but we just, from like a, an industry standpoint, we need to all be very careful not to like venture too far out of our scope of practice. Yeah. Um, you know, I put a post up about this the other day. It's just like people will come to me and ask me questions. And if I don't know the answer, that happens very often about training and nutrition, or like you know, very specific stuff. It's like I'll direct them to another JPS coach who is who has further education or has studied that. Yeah, it's almost like trying to be the jack of all trades. Yeah, I think we need. There's a certain base, like or like kind of foundational knowledge that all coaches should have, oh. um, in order to succeed within the industry. That it's just like kind of fundamentally required. Um, but yeah, you don't. Pursuing like higher or further education kind of just because isn't going to do you any favors and pursuing it in areas that don't relate to your career, right? Whatever that may be is also maybe not as valuable as like kind of staying in your lane and just going, you know what, I'm going to continue to like work on an upskill in my area. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, that's Yeah. Education is important. Continue to do it. Just make sure you're being deliberate in where you're educating and upskilling and what that, where it's coming from. Like if, if a personal trainer came to me and said, Oh, I'm thinking of doing a master's right in university. I would be like, unless that is required for your long-term goal and career, it's not necessary. It's, it's not necessary, but mm. if it's something you want to do uh, and you, it's like an interest of yours and it's like, you want to create this niche down the track, go for it right and it's like that's where people need to draw that distinction and actually be a little bit more critical in um, assessing kind of what they're doing for their upskilling and education yeah awesome but yeah that's me three three tips yes i uh, confirm that they are very very good tips and a lot of nuggets uh, for coaches to take <laughs> from what samuel had to say uh i have conceptualized coach development as having three pillars, uh, sorry, five pillars for success. So the first is knowing your clients. So having systems and the ability uh, through your communication skills and interpersonal skills to be able to get to know your client and know them like the back of your hand. I think that's super important uh, and Obviously, enhancing that skill is critical if you want to be successful. And the second is to know the training and nutrition principles. And I couldn't recommend a book any more highly than The Muscle and Strength Pyramids by Eric Helms, Andrea Valdez, and Andy Morgan. So I suggest that coaches go ahead and read that. The third is to create systems for coaching. So when I say systems for coaching, what I mean is uh, having methods, processes, and procedures that are designed to organize and structure uh, your coaching of a client. So purposefully carrying out uh, the activities involved with coaching, whether it's screening, program writing, updating your clients, uh, taking a consultation, all of those sorts of things. 
so that you can have uh, a very systematic approach to streamline the coaching process. Uh, so when we look at creating systems, uh, you know, we want to focus on having the principles govern how we go about that. We need organization and planning, having some purpose and structure. It's got to be logical. Simplicity is always better than complexity. You've got to have means of assessing outcomes and over time modify and refine your coaching systems and also think about the delivery and communication uh, to the client within that uh, process. So the language you use, how you categorize things, whether it's a training cycle, a training block, like the terminology that you use so that you can convey the message uh, to them. Uh, and the fourth is enhancing your skills, your knowledge and your experience. So knowing what skills you need, the knowledge you require, where there's gaps in your knowledge, uh, what you can learn from your current and previous experiences, and not just thinking of experiences tenure, uh, so the duration that you're coaching, but more so the quality of work that you're doing within that that's obviously facilitating, uh, you know, results. Uh, and then looking at how you can enhance your skills. So all the skills that you require as a coach, whether it's communication, the interpersonal stuff, whether it's the tactile elements of coaching and being able to teach technique and movements in the gym and modify uh, and explain them, all those sorts of things. Uh, and then the fifth is developing competence lifters and i think this is hugely overlooked but there are four things within this that uh, coaches should focus on and that is teaching their clients to become competent so that is that they can go into the gym they can lift on their own they can follow a program they can train uh, without the reliance of a coach and i think while that seems counterintuitive at a glance uh, it's hugely beneficial long term because you want to be able to train your clients to a point where they no longer need you because then you can work with more people. They're going to be great marketing tools in and of themselves. And they are, you know, as we know, word of mouth is very, very uh, potent and powerful means of marketing. Uh, the second point within developing competent uh, lifters is giving your clients confidence. So the self-belief, resilience and mental toughness uh, they need to train hard, recover and manage themselves within uh, you know, their goals and also in increasing their sense of positive self-worth. And then the third point within confidence lifters is connection. So teaching your clients how to develop interpersonal skills and the ability to build and sustain meaningful and positive relationships with other people in the gym. You can think about it like a spider web. Uh, if your clients uh, have just one connection to the gym and that gym community, that's you. It's very easy to cut that tie uh, and stop, you know, going back to the gym and you know, connecting with you, for example, the coach. Uh, but if they have multiple connections, uh, meaning that it's like a spider web, uh, it, it's a lot harder to break all of those ties. So if they're friends with other clients or members in the gym, uh, I think that can be very beneficial uh, for long-term development of a client. And the fourth point in developing competent clients is character. So teaching your athletes, your lifters and your clients to respect the gym, respect the process, to act with integrity, develop self-discipline, and you know make decisions in an ethical and moral way as it relates to their diet, their training, and their life in general can be super beneficial. So uh, they would be the things that I would recommend coaches focus on. Uh, and as it will relate to what we're gonna discuss next, next uh, and a segue into that smoothly, I think continually uh, striving for progress as a coach uh, is very, very important because if you're not improving, you're staying idle, you'll potentially regress, you'll uh, fall by the wayside and there'll be plenty of other coaches who will be better than you and more sought after. Can I also add in one last, one last thing? Yeah, mate. I also think that last tip, and I don't recall Jacob mentioning it, just something that all coaches should be doing um, is practicing what they preach and leading by example. Yeah. I don't know if you mentioned that, but yeah, if you're, if you're not taking your training seriously, if you don't kind of, you know, monitor your nutrition, I'm not saying you need to have abs all year round or, you know, do anything. But I think at the end of the day, it's like your clients kind of look up to you. Um, so it's important to be a role model and someone worth looking up to someone who is actually, you know, aspiring them to be better as well. Um, I think if you can, yeah, 
do that and take your own training, nutrition and health seriously, then they will and just live a life that they can kind of aspire to. Not to yeah. say you're going to be you know, an absolute role model, but just, yeah, take it seriously and then hopefully they will too. Amazing. Yeah, I, just uh, that, yeah, I just want to add one more uh, thing to Samuel brought up a really good point. Um, yeah, a lot of people would have heard the saying, you know, uh, you've got to practice what you preach, right? And I think as a new and upcoming coach, it's integral to practice what you preach to some degree. You don't need to have abs year round, but you sh- if you're going to tell your clients how to diet for fat loss, you should have some experience in dieting for fat loss. So you shouldn't be too out of shape. I think as you progress as a coach over the years and you have exemplified you know, walking the walk and not just talking the talk. I think you can get away with a little bit more. You don't need to always practice what you preach um, because you've demonstrated that you have done so in the past. But I think early on when you're still trying to crack into the industry and make a name for yourself, uh, practicing what you preach is a very, very powerful way to create buy-in, trust, and to demonstrate you know what the fuck you're doing. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And there's so much value there um, for, for those that are aspiring to be trainers, but also obviously throughout this whole episode, um, for, for anybody listening, not just intermediate lifters, even for those that are just beginning and, and that have, you know, are listening to this for something to look forward to as they progress through in their career. And I think it's also just great for, for anybody listening, even if you are an advanced lifter, just to, to hear these things again and kind of just touch up on on, on what's really important in terms of programming and what we should be focusing on, regardless of whether it's a four-day split or whether we're following our own our own program. But um, we do have to, to, to wrap things up. So before I do that, um, guys, I'm happy for one of you to, to talk about this. I wanted you to, to have, a, have a bit of a talk about the JPS Health and Fitness um, uh, education side of things and how those that are listening um, that are trainers can further their education by, by working with you guys and, and um, just a bit of information on that and how they can get access to it. Obviously I'll have any links to any further information um, and whatnot in the show notes below, but um, yeah, happy for one of you guys to fire away. Go for it, Samuel. All right. So I'll try and keep this under two minutes cause you have to go Danny. So we started educating people, um, educating coaches, because frankly, they saw that, um, you know, we were doing a good job with our clients. Um, so, you know, we started to get more and more coaches interested in working with us to improve their skills and to learn. Uh, over time, that kind of morphed into, you know, various workshops, things like that, um, to now where we have JPS education, which is uh, a very large focus of what we do. Um, pretty much the sole intention of our education stream uh, from the business is that there is only so many clients, so many individuals that we at JPS can help uh, be that in person who can access our facility or online um, via our services. So JPS education is really a means for us to, um, as our kind of like slogan suggests, raise the standard of the industry. It's very, I think a lot of people would echo the same kind of, um, entrance to the industry you know gone through a cert three and four or some kind of study and it wasn't really that great didn't really prepare them um for the industry and then they're kind of left in the lurch when they actually start and that's why we have such a high turnover rate and just in general the um profession of say being a coach or a personal trainer is you know something that's not taken very seriously um so kind of where we come in um over the last you know between jake and i we have nearly 20 years of experience not to mention all of our other coaches you know Lyndon purcell um, you know, who's completing his masters, Martin Rafala and our team of coaches. We're pretty much just trying to offer further education, upskilling opportunities for coaches and people who are just generally interested in their lifting. Um, so that we can over time build the quality of coaches that are out there in kind of practicing in the industry at large within Australia and around the world. Um, so, you know, our main kind of, Education service would be our online mentorship. Uh, the February intake has just kicked off uh, as of Monday. Um, that is a pretty comprehensive course. It covers a lot of the stuff that's, um, it covers a lot of the gaps in, say, other education courses because it's predominantly built from people who are actually practicing in the industry, um, which is really important because most people want practical, hands on, useful information. Um, and that's really what we're trying to do with JPS education. 
we have a number of workshops and stuff uh, available. It's like we run conferences. Um, again, really just to kind of spread the good word of, you know, best practice, really best practice for personal trainers, coaches, and health practitioners and what that looks like and how we can kind of facilitate that to improve our industry as a collective. Um, you can find out more information about the education stuff that we have on our website which are, which will be linked below yeah for sure and yeah that's really it follow jps education um on instagram it's like jacob puts up a whole heap of you know great infographics it's like it's free um but yeah good information and there's a lot of other resources out there really um that's all i have to say amazing Guys, thanks so much for, for joining the show today. Um, as I said, there's so much value in today's episode. And um, again, Jacob, we say this every time we chat. I'd love to um, to do this again soon. We need to set aside a few hours and just punch out a few episodes, I think. But um, I'll definitely have all the links to all this below um, for those that are listening to go and uh, look into this more yourselves. Couldn't recommend it um, any higher than, than what I do um, for those that are listening, these guys are very knowledgeable. And um, as Sam just said, it's not just their own knowledge, but those collectively from um, some very experienced people in the industry. And um, if you are wanting to further your knowledge, which you should be, if your goal is to become a successful trainer um, and maintain that, because if you don't continue to ed- educate yourself and you will get left behind, um, I would highly recommend it. So fellas, thanks for joining me. Um, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And for those that are listening, if you have enjoyed today's episode and taken some value, please do take a screenshot of this episode and post it up on your Instagram story for me now. Um, tag us three. I'll have the links to the boys' Instagram um, below. We'd love to get some feedback on the show. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chase, man. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks, boys. Enjoy your afternoon. And thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you very much.